Hello, welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. My name is Josh Asquith, and today I am with uh, Chandan Singh, Philip Marzuki, Edram Kyberport, and Paul Flynn. And we are discussing the really important and really interesting topic of creating high-performance BI and data teams. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, a Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Now, before we delve deeper into these questions, I'm just going to ask everybody just to go around the room and introduce themselves and what they do, who they are. So, Philip, do you want to kick us off? Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, My name is Philip Marzuki. Uh, I have been a consultant for many, many years. I think I started with IT sometime in the late 90s. Um, I work globally, but I'm back in Sweden, and most recently I worked for NetLite as a consultant. Uh, since then, I also worked as a non-consultant, a full-time normal employee at a large uh, financial um, bank. Um, I mostly build analytics teams or data-driven ways of working and, and things like that. So that's my specialty and has been uh, throughout all of, all of my years. Even as a developer, I did mostly... Uh, tech that was related to data or analytics, um, and I've been on you know the product owner side and and the engineering manager side, and um, but always related to data. So I think that's a lot about who I am. Brilliant, thank you, Paul. Uh, hi, I'm, my name is Paul Flynn. Um, I am from England. I've been living in Sweden for seven years now. Um, it's been a good journey. Came for love. Um, have a five-year-old son. Really love it here. Especially now, when the weather kicks off like this, it's awesome. Um, I work for InstaBee. Um, my data journey began ooh, at Oracle as a graduate. That's 18 years ago now. So I've been working in and out of data warehousing, BI, yeah, analytics for oh, yeah, almost two decades. Um, been in professional services for a long time as well as a consultant and developer, building teams. And last two roles have been basically building analytics teams from scratch. Um, so yeah, that's me. Cool. Thank you so much. Pedram? Yeah. Hi, my name is uh, Pedram Kevanapur. Uh, I'm working at uh, Shipstead as a manager for the BI team within uh, our advertising company that's called uh, Shipstead Marketing uh, Services. So uh, similar to uh, Philip and Paul, I, I have some, some background in the analytics uh, domain. Um, mainly started out as an uh, analyst uh, within kind of like the insight and effect uh, industry and then moved on to similar positions in regards to uh, how to be more data-driven within a telco company and then started having some more managerial uh, positions and well now at uh, Shipstead. So really looking forward to this talk and um, the subjects we're going to go through. Thank you. And last but not least, Chantan, do you want to tell us about yourself? Absolutely. Thanks, Josh. So my name is Chandan Singh. I come from India. I've been living here in uh, Stockholm for five years now. I, wo- I work as the head of data at Reptel. If you don't know, Reptel is a company uh, with uh, with a mission to connect people across borders. So if you have crossed a border, 
uh, if you want to make a call to your family, you want to send maybe some mobile credits to top up their prepaid mobile, you want to send money, want to send food. Yeah, that's, that's what Reptile is all about. Uh, before working at Reptile, I worked in uh, various roles. I've been working in 15, for 15 years in the data world, started out as a BI developer, uh, moved on to taking some architecture roles and have been working as a manager for the past few years. That's pretty much me. Cool. Thank you very much. So now everybody has introduced themselves and we all know who one another are. Let's kick off with the questions. Now, the first question that has been asked is by Pedram. And the question is, as a manager, what are some ways or strategies you use to help a team progress and increase the performance of the team? Now, Pedram, do you want to just give us a little bit of context behind why you asked that question? And then we'll open it up to the floor. Sure, sure. So, uh, you know, before uh, us meeting here today, uh, I was actually thinking about, you know, how do we create a high-performing team? And consequentially, I ended up in the discussion and or in the thought, like, have my teams uh, throughout my, my managerial uh, history been high-performing teams? And I think that kind of shortcutted a little bit um, my thought process. Because instead of thinking about how do we actually become more uh, performance driven and how do we increase our performance, I ended up in kind of a state where you want to say yes or no. And that statement doesn't really necessarily help evolving the team and uh, developing the team in becoming more data mature and supporting the business in a better sense. So um, really interested in, in hearing your thoughts about this and how you as managers uh, work with this to basically help the team progress. Brilliant. Thank you. So I guess first we'll go, Paul, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I guess there's probably three pillars for me. I mean, work is going to be fun, first of all. Um, we're in the midst of a big migration project right now, and that's never the most fun thing to do. Uh, we're bringing two companies together. So you've got to kind of inject that somehow, you know, bring people together, you know, more kind of FaceTime. Um, but yeah, when the alarm clock goes up in the morning, you need to have that sense of purpose. And I think, you know, that should begin with like, okay, I'm looking forward to doing some work. It actually means something. Um, that'll hopefully put a spring in your step and, and make life a bit more interesting. Um, I think autonomy as well. You know, people need to, you know, be given the respect they deserve as human beings to kind of like think for themselves, make decisions, you know, be the, uh, I was at a Oracle event last night and uh, Mr. Lutman talked about kind of being the driver rather than the passenger. I think that kind of rings true for me, you know, give people that autonomy uh, to do things for themselves. Um, and then the other one is responsibility, accountability. Actually, you've got to stick your neck out and be responsible when things break. You know, you're an engineer. Okay, it's fine the first time, but second time is two times too many. Solve it in a good way, have mitigation steps. So, yeah, it's all about empowerment, really. You know, that's the kind of the theme for me. Um, you know, when my team kind of want to progress their careers, my job is to, like, knock the barriers out of the way or support them, you know, give them as much help as possible, you know, and then tilt their heads up towards the horizon. You know, rather than thinking about, okay, we have these OKRs to solve. This is what's cascading down. It's like, no, no, take the selfish approach. You know, double down on yourself every time. So that's my uh, words of encouragement, Pedram. No, brilliant. Thank you very much. Chandan, what do you what do you think about this? Um, I, I actually, after looking at the question, I have another question popping up in my mind as well. Uh, we talk about what are some of the strategies to help uh, uh, you know build a high performing team but i i maybe want to take a step back and just sort of understand what is a high performing team like how do we define it is is it a team that's getting deliverables out uh, day after day week after week month after month 
or do we really measure something else? Is it a team that has been around for a while and is happy? You know, you see them and you're like, hey, you know, that team must be doing something good and I want to be like them or something like that. So I've been thinking a little bit uh, about what it actually means to be a, a high-performing team or be in a high-performing team or to be leading a high-performing team. Uh, but again, going back to some of the things that uh, Paul mentioned, you know, sense of purpose definitely important. Uh, we need to make sure that uh, people are motivated when they come, show up to work because everybody wants to do a good job. When they wake up in the morning, they want to come into the office and they want to give it their best. And at the same time, uh, we as leaders should be able to see that and also call out if there are, uh, you know, if there are days when there is something going on and you want to understand people and uh, really make that connection and relationship with them where they are happy to open up and tell you their problems so that you can take those away and enable them again uh, and to, to give some of that autonomy that we were talking about earlier. Thank you. Philip? Yeah, of course. Well, my view is that I think about a team also a little bit as a, a product in themselves. So not only the, the product they build, but the, the team is, is a product, right? Um, and, and so if you look at a team and vision, and vision uh, I think it's important not to forget like how important that is for the team itself. Like, why are we here? What are we trying to achieve? And, and really like getting buy-in and enlightening that. And if, if we're not, let's get a new mission or let's, let's get a new team. Or like, why are we here? And, and having the team understand why we are here, why, what's our purpose, right? So I think that's super important. And once we have that, we can kind of figure out what what, what a high performing for us is. Maybe it's making uh, making other teams uh, take uh, data driven decisions. Maybe it's uh, connecting data sources. Maybe it's I don't I don't know what what it is, but but it's important to understand for your specific team what what your purpose is, and then you can understand what what is a high performance uh, based on on the purpose of that team. So I think that's a good kind of like foundation to start with. Perfect. Thank you. And Pedram, what are your thoughts around this question? I think uh, I think it's uh, I kind of agree with everything being said. And I think Chanan, you mentioned a really interesting point there with, you know, taking a step back and thinking about, OK, what do we actually mean when we are discussing, you know, high performing teams? And um, I've actually been thinking about a bit as well. And I mean, you could have different kind of measures for it. You could try to you know, compare teams, look at burn down charts or, or whatever you want to do, right? Uh, but in the end, uh, I mean, it's basically the stakeholders, right? Who's going to be, be the ultimate judge if you are delivering or not, in a sense. Uh, so I think that's uh, that's kind of how I've been trying to frame it to basically, are we, are we living up to the expectations of our stakeholders and our colleagues that we uh, somehow support or uh, Try to help. Brilliant. Thanks, Philip. Yes. So I'm I'm so happy we have this you know discussion where we can talk about this because I'm not quite sure the stakeholders are like the the end all be all if we are successful or, or not because maybe the stakeholders are not why we are here. Maybe they are a byproduct. Maybe our job is to make the stakeholders change and they're super unhappy with changing. Mm -hmm. And if they're unhappy, we can still be super successful. You know, it's um, so it's. I think it's good to listen to your stakeholders. I, I don't want to, you know, take you know, take that away from from you or from anyone else. You know, definitely listen to your stakeholders. But but what 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 I think is important is aligning 
your success with what you want to achieve, not with uh, a third party, uh, especially if you have uh, many stakeholders, for example. All right. And Paul? Yeah, to chime into a little bit what Philip said before, you need to have your own mission, your own kind of placard. If you don't aim toward your own North Star, you're going to get basically turned into a Turing machine. You know, here's a request, punch it out, you know, rinse and repeat, and you may as well just be working in tech ops or, uh, you know, an IT support role. Um, there's way more to analytics. You know, our team's kind of definitional reason for being is like, okay, we're, we're here to help the business run performantly. You know, how do we understand whether the business is doing good or bad? You know, it's that simple, really. That's the, the most kind of like high level, you know, reason to have uh, a good BI analytics team. Um, you know, and then there's all these different strands of all the fun stuff you can get into. But, you know, that's the, the main purpose. You know, and anything deflecting from that um, or trying to railroad it, then, you know, the state stakeholder really is a byproduct, you know. Thank you. Chanted? Uh, yeah, that uh, I think there's uh, a very interesting discussion going on. But uh, I actually want to go the other way in this discussion and uh, try to work uh, with the stakeholders. And at the same time, saying that uh, all of our team members, aren't they stakeholders of the team as well? Like, shouldn't we be responsible towards our team members as stakeholders, just the way we are responsible to uh, stakeholders who are outside? So uh, then we need to come up with some metrics that we can use to measure our performance against these internal stakeholders. And one one of the one of the things that I felt helped in one of my previous roles was just having clarity of what is being expected from everybody. Sometimes it can be a little bit confusing. Uh, who, what are we responsible for? And just making it clear, just laying it out loud. Uh, you know, writing it down somewhere that we can go back and refer to is something that can help people give uh, that much needed focus to be, you know, yeah, this is where I need to perform and this is how uh, we are going to be measured for it. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Paul. Yeah, treating your stakeholder is something we try and do. So, I mean, one of the biggest um, pieces in our own backlog is debt. You know, we build up tons of debt uh, because, you know, stakeholders want things now. They don't want to wait for a data model. So, you know, just ship something just to kind of like, you know, feed the hungry mouths. Um, so we always try and take on debt. So we treat ourselves as a stakeholder within sprints and kind of deliver against the the backlog. So we can we don't sink. You know, we have a, a stable boat to kind of like row along in. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you very much, uh, Pedro Mochadon. Anything else you'd like to add to this? Uh, not from my end. I just thought it was really really nice uh, hearing about the different perspectives and uh, seeing a little bit about how how we how we think about uh, think about it. And I mean. Basically, the interesting part is we we all work within the data domain, right? Uh, but just just having a sense of agreed standard or even even you know some kind of specific ways that you you actually track this, it's not really that agree, agreed upon uh, within the business either, which is quite interesting. You know, being in that field where you're supposed to be evangelic about being data driven, helping helping businesses to act on data, but then Kind of one of the core parts in kind of measuring our own teams it's it's not necessarily a straightforward science in how to do that um i find that quite quite interesting perfect thank you so much and that was a really interesting discussion the next question that we have to discuss with the panel is um it's asked by paul and the question is how do we guide our younger our, our entry-level data professionals through the early parts of their careers now paul do you want to 
just give us a bit more context behind where this question came from and then we'll open it up. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I joined my company three years ago. We were kind of coming out of the startup phase into the scale-up. So pretty much, you know, you, if you need strong hands on the tiller, you have to hire kind of mid-senior uh, engineers, dead analysts, people who kind of been around the block, um, you know, so you kind of hit the ground running, get stuff built in a good way, set standards, processes. Um, and as the team grows, you know, with the company, uh, you can start to look at, okay, let's look at the cost base. Let's maybe bring in some younger people. You know, it's good for the, the kind of the general lifeblood, you know, if not just the business, but humanity. I mean, I was young once, believe it or not, you know, someone had to hire me when I was a junior. So it's kind of like giving back. Uh, but obviously there are different ways of kind of measuring performance and, and, you know, I think people from mid to senior, they know how to drive their own careers. They've got an idea about where they're going. Uh, but younger, you know, people who come in, you know, I feel like, um, they do need more coaching and that is where I spend more of my time now, uh, making sure that they get, you know, the help that they need, just decision-making, trying to prioritize what to do first. Um, uh, and yeah, kind of like leveraging that intelligence, you know, smart people who just come out of university, they've got all of this cool stuff bundled up you know they're kind of hot on the tech but you know it's like okay how do i navigate through the business and you know why these people why do these people act the way they do you know all these kind of things that you don't necessarily learn until you've been in the in the workplace so yeah a lot of things maybe i stumble across and hopefully i do a decent job but i think there's a ton of stuff i i still need to learn (laughs) now perfect philip what are your thoughts i think that's a such a good question um and I, I, I see it all the time. And and um, I recently changed uh, companies now to a, to a like a startup. So I'll be in the, your situation where where you might not be able to afford to have these like really young, uh, but talented individuals. And I, I I don't know how to tackle that when you are a really small company. Uh, it's so much easier when you have a larger company. And one of the reasons is that you can have a lot of like you can have a lot of leeway uh, and the or capital, or if, let's say you're a consultancy, you can have a lot of rapport, you have built trust with your customers, you can get like a couple of uh, uh, entry level joiners into that data team where you already have a senior individual who can back them up and things like that. So I definitely, I can definitely relate. Um, but I, I just think it's important for them to work together with someone who is more experienced. I think that's the key to like really leveling up fast. Uh, especially on uh, tech and and the professional side. And I think you can really boost them with some kind of like mentorship and and things like that with a pure career perspective. Uh, And what I feel there is normally as a manager, you have like, you have your uh, company's perspective on one side, right? And then you have like, you're supposed to advocate for your uh, mentee or like your, your employee on the other side as you know, you have a, all, the, all those requires and those inherently clash a little bit what's good for that joiners not necessarily what's good for the company uh always you might want to say well you know honestly it's time you should you know change positions but like from a company perspective don't say that you will lose someone you train for like a, a year who's finally gotten up and running with your team but but <laughs> so it's, it's i think it's just a really tough uh, and challenging questions, and I think if you can separate those concerns, like the the growth versus the business performance, you can really give that individual a, a much stronger uh, trajectory into becoming like a senior a senior level contributor much faster. So that's my small take. It's good to see you back, Philip. Appreciate it. 
Thank you very much, Philip. Pedro? Yeah, amazing point. Uh, I could also kind of agree on uh, on the point, whereas when 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 picking up new uh, new employees that are a little bit more junior, it's uh, it's kind of important to set aside, you know, some specific responsibilities, not only on the managerial side, but also within the team to having, you know, appointed kind of uh, mentors or people that work with the mentorship approach to it. Uh, so So in my team, for example, we we picked up two uh, fairly junior um, uh, data engineers uh, last year, and uh, that's one of the approaches that we tried to do to have somebody really, you know, have a outspoken mentorship uh, responsibility to make sure to give these uh, these new employees and these new team members, you know, all all the attention needed. But I mean, uh, that also means that somebody who is a little bit more senior will not be able to do as much hands-on work so it's always this balance right in 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 kind of what's what's best for the team now what's best for these new colleagues joining in and how do we set us up so that we um can get the team up and running and so that the team can be quite uh, autonomous as we was discussing about earlier here right so that everybody can feel confident in taking their own decisions and uh, being uh, being individual when they are in the different projects or tasks that they are driving. So I would say that that is, that is something that we've been working with uh, in our team. I mean, it's not, it's not like we're super experienced in it either, but uh, I think really trying that out. And also we were talking a little bit, I think, Philip, you mentioned that as well, you know, transparency in terms of expectations. Um, I think that is something that has been quite fruitful for us to really outline kind of like a roadmap so that you could see kind of the growth for the individuals. So both they could have that as something that is a little bit exciting to see that, oh, in the upcoming months, we will start doing these kind of tasks and so on and so forth. But it also sets kind of a good relationship and discussion and something to, you know, have as a starting point. Doesn't mean necessarily that everything will follow chronologically as you put it on uh, on that roadmap, but it's still something that you could kind of aim for and work from. Uh, so, so that is something that's been quite, uh, quite good for us at least that I really would recommend. Yeah, that's good, good feedback. I mean, when we had senior people and as the business has been growing really fast, you know, we we can have the people who can handle the war setting. You know, they're in the trenches. It's traditional. We just power through. But you know, we need to front load the investment with juniors and make sure that they are mentored. There is a onboarding program. It's all kind of all lined up nicely. But also, you know, dip them into the the deep end as fast as possible. You know, one of the. I think I'll I'll go back a little bit to that point as well. Uh, when starting, uh, when having junior members in the team, you know, I think we as leaders also need to be more empathetic towards them. Uh, and this is something that happened to me personally when we had a, a junior person starting in the team. And uh, you know, when you're so used to working with senior people who churn out deliverables like super quickly, uh, high quality and things like that. When you don't see the same quality of deliverables at such a uh, fast pace, uh, your first notion is, hey, something is wrong. But there's nothing wrong. And uh, I think uh, we need to acknowledge that uh, when dealing with younger people and we need to mentor them and coach them. And the things that we actually tried doing is, you know, that classic interview question that you ask uh, people, hey, rate yourself on uh, SQL. On a scale of one to ten, ten being the highest, rate yourself on W, for example, on a scale of one to ten. We did that. So we put out a formal plan, like by the end of the six-month period, 
I want you to go out there and if somebody asks you that question, I want you to be able to say that, hey, on a uh, scale of 1 to 10, I'm an 8 on a SQL. And once putting these kind of targets out there, you make a plan and then you move forward with it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, again, uh, you know, uh, giving focus and uh, giving them all the support that they need is super important. One, of, one last thing that I might want to mention before moving on is also the amount of uh, uh, dedication and the amount of loyalty you can build by coaching these uh, junior uh, people and then onboarding them with uh, with the right culture, with the right support system. It's it's amazing. Yeah, the kind of belongingness that we had on our first jobs. It's it's hard to go back to that now, but uh, that's the phase that they are going through. That so. I think it's super valuable. Brilliant. Thank you, Paul. Any last, any thoughts? Or oh, Pedro? Yeah, so I, I was just thinking about, um, just thinking about one part that has kind of struck me as uh, both in this position and in earlier positions when we had taken on, um, you know, young data professionals. And it's that I'm fairly often kind of impressed and not so worried uh, about technical skills. But one thing that I end up actually spending quite uh, a lot of time on and uh, one place where we usually work a little bit on developing the skills is actually uh, the soft skills. And, and not in the sense of, you know, social skills, but rather in terms of how do you kind of collaborate with stakeholders? How much, uh, how much ownership, so to speak, should you take of uh, non-refined tasks and how much can you actually uh, kind of uh, request or how much pressure could you put on your colleague or stakeholder in terms of what they should be able to bring to a discussion or to a requirement that they formally want you to then produce and run with. So I think that is also something that is, uh, that's been fairly interesting for us that, you know, People are, and, and it's interesting because it kind of gives at least me the perspective that people are very capable and pick up the technical parts quite quick. But if you can master the soft parts as well and how to collaborate and how to navigate that whole, you know, uh, discussion points with uh, your your stakeholders, then you're truly going to be able to have a huge impact. So, so that's been kind of an interesting learning for me, at least for for having younger members coming into the team. Thanks, Patreon. Philip? Yeah, I thought about some other things. And I, I thought I'd talk about, you know, the skills matrix or competence matrix. But what you said, Petra, was, was so interesting. And I, and I think I'll continue there instead. And I think uh, one of the, some of the thinking I have is one of the reasons it is the way you say it is, because I, I, I totally agree with, with, you know, all the people we hire, they can, they can usually cope with, the, with the, all the tech stuff. That's, that's very rarely... Uh, the case where you know they're not technical enough and they can't pick that up, and and I think is you know we're probably all more or less from the tech side who work within this in the mentors that they have, the people they work with, shadow with, mob program with, their manager, you know all of these people they're like tech right, uh, including ourselves. But when do they get to work with the product owner who's really good? When do they get to, you know, work with like a business owner who's really good and, and knows how to like work in a modern modern way from a modern company? Like never, right? Because they're also tech students from a tech school. So I think it's I think it's uh, not strange that that's where the skills are lacking. And I think if we can pair them up together with the product owners or like 
have have them do mob stuff uh, with them maybe we can see some some changes uh, but that's you know another topic is that i think in general we're not mature in our product ownership in many many companies so there's a general lack of really good product owners from for people to learn from even if you're already a product owner somewhere you know you only have experience from that company and no formal education as a product owner and if you do it's like a two-day course from somewhere that's that's not enough right and, and so i think it's it's aligned the challenges are aligned with their experience and education because they have so much tech education so much tech experience right and so little product or like uh, working with stakeholder experience uh, and, and so i just want to like agree with you <laughs> Petra. and, and I, I think we should really fix that because i think that's a huge challenge that we we have to face up to and, and not just for our young people i think even for our senior people it can be difficult to work with stakeholders or or difficult customers and i, I don't think it's strange but I, I definitely share your your challenges yeah i agree I mean, I think we should have more of the cross-pollination as well. And actually dip people into departments, you know, for months on end, especially in analytics teams. You know, if you're going to have a more matrix org, okay, well then maybe we have like forward-leaning analysts that work in finance and really know the processes, you know, order to cash and these kind of things that, you know, you're taught out of books. Um, but yeah, I, I worry a little bit about how businesses or the HR departments and maybe not handling this. Uh, and I take on this myself, you know, the onboarding and putting them in the business and forcing them to go to terminals and, you know, drive alongs and those things. And, you know, they have to do that. That's just part of our blue collar logistics business. And you just have to know that's what we do. Um, but the back office stuff, I think we can do way more and especially product, uh, product ownership paths and flows. And yeah, it, it, that's a big concern for me, like company onboarding in general, you know, not just for youngsters, but also for, for anybody who's coming into the business. Uh, fresh. No. Thanks, Paul and Chantan. Uh, I also just wanted to do a, do a plus one on what uh, Pedram and Philip said uh, earlier about uh, working together with the stakeholders for the team members directly. And uh, again, I truly appreciate that uh, everybody is capable to the point uh, we can keep keep them engaged with challenging work. And once we have these uh, junior team members uh, interact directly with the stakeholders, it's amazing how much uh, ownership they can take uh, it's like they go out there they know more they understand more and then they start owning that whole area and then they become these uh, you know these the solid pillars around which we as managers uh, we can just provide the oversight and then uh, not worry about anything else so super important point there thanks very much everyone i think that wraps us up quite nicely to into that question so our next question we've got uh, comes from philip and Philip's question to the to the group is, how do data teams create actual business impact? So Philip, do you want to tell us a little bit more about why you asked that question? Definitely. Uh, so uh, I've been building data teams or analytics teams in a lot of different companies, industries, and, and locations. And I feel that it's not always clear why we exist and why we are there. Um, it can be for many reasons, but usually there's a bunch of money or something. Someone has told someone that we should we should have this. This is a good thing to have. Like now, I think now it's maybe harder than insights into AI, right? And so we should have this, but what the outcome is still unclear to me. Like what what are you trying to achieve? And I think that's for me is often missing. I think I have a story 
uh, from my latest place of uh, of work, where you know we're gonna be we're gonna do all of these data things in a in a data governance uh, perspective, uh, but it's still really unclear. Uh, why? Why are we doing these things? What What do you want to achieve by by doing this? And so I I don't think that's unique at all. And and I have this in in many places. So I I want to make sure that when we build these teams and all of these, we invest all this money, competence, and time. Right? We want to get something out of it. So how do we make sure we benefit the business in building these teams? Like what what are the prerequisites, or what can we do as analytics managers uh, to make sure that happens? Perfect. Chandan? That's a really good question, Philip. And I, I think uh, a little bit of why why uh, it's a little bit lacking in uh, most of the companies that we work for is because our work is not super direct uh, direct impact in the sense we are more like enablers. We enable other departments to succeed. So people have a little bit of uh, difficulty understanding the direct value we, we deliver. For example, if we delivered a dashboard, how much revenue does that generate or how much profit does that number uh, drive? It's a, it's a hard question. And I'm sure all of us get uh, get a, asked that question a lot of time. At the same time, uh, you know, the, the whole uh, outcome, if we can measure it, if we can uh, make it visible, it increases motivation as well. So going back to the topic that we were talking about earlier, uh, you know, having a sense of purpose in the team, I think it's uh, yeah again super important if uh, if we can uh, get help from these stakeholders to chip in and spend some time just figuring that bit out. Thank you. And Paul? Yeah, it's again it's connecting to the uh, the, the the balance sheet, I guess, or the P and L actually. Um, yeah, where can we kind of like point our gaze and find out how to make money, or where to save it? Um, and that's kind of like where we've had the most success, at least kind of gathering stakeholders and you know corralling around uh, a project uh we look at profitability you know of how our network routes run uh apms everything and as soon as you can start to visualize in a simple way what's good what looks good and what looks bad you know so you, you soon start to gather uh, momentum um but yeah i mean it's a, it's a tough question um and i i posted the question just there in the chat it's um you know my brief was to build the capability you know put the team in place and then we've got this you know, core function that we can do X, Y, and Z with, you know, insights, as you say, it's kind of like moving into that space more and more now. But yeah, it, I, I think that is the wrong question. We should be looking at from, okay, what is it we need to do? You know, from the very beginning, what's the mission? You know, why even have this team in the first place? You know, if you get to the scale of 10, 15, 20 people, it's not cheap to have that capability. So, you know, use it wisely. Um, and this is where you fall into the, you know, that Turing machine trap. You become everybody's best friend and you're just churning out, you know, lists of data to God knows who. Um, and that's that's dangerous. Yeah. Uh, but I don't really have a concrete answer because I'm kind of part of this. Uh, and I've kind of done this again in my current company for the reasons of avarice and greed and wanting to do it because it's fun. Um, I get a kick out of it and I enjoy it. So, uh, yeah, I should be connecting it and asking these questions a bit more to the to the purpose. Thanks, Paul. Pedram? Yeah, so so this one is really, I mean, you could spend quite some time thinking about this and discussing this topic, right? Like, how do we actually create actual business impact? I'm, I don't know how many times we've actually had projects in in different companies or in different teams where where you have kind of like a delivery, but the business impact might not be that clear, to be honest. 
Uh, it might be some report somebody wants to see, or they want to have some God knows what kind of predictive model for some use case. But then, then the true question is like, okay, how will this affect how we act, right? What can we possibly do with that information that we can't do today? And I feel like that is often one of the discussion points that we should be spending more time on. Um, that is often um, not getting the right attention that it should be getting because you know, we could have all the different KPIs, all the different data sets and all the data products you could ever imagine. But if we're not sure on how that will enable us to act smarter or make different decisions, then to what extent will that really help us, right? So uh, with that being said, I've been in the same scenario multiple times, done the same kind of thing, you know, uh, trying to please as many of uh, our colleagues <laughs> as possible and then kind of losing track a little bit in terms of okay how will this actually support the business and our uh, ability to act data driven and make smarter choices but i think that is definitely something that we try to incorporate nowadays to uh, when we have discussions with stakeholders or uh, when we are discussing new capabilities that is kind of something that we try to really grasp like okay what happens what is what is not only the end-to-end -end process here for this, but what happens after uh, whoever is supposed to receiving this data or this deliverable, what will they do with it except looking at it? What process will that jack into? So, so I think that is also something that's quite, quite important from you know, coming from a data team that you really need to understand the world outside of the data world as well. You need to understand, I think you, Paul, were mentioning, you know, how does things work in the terminals or how do you actually deliver the goods or or how does the sales team actually have their meetings with the clients and so on and so forth right you really need to start building that understanding as well so that you could kind of be much more confident in seeing okay how will this have an effect or will it even have an effect um so i think that's uh, that's something that we're we're trying out we don't have a bulletproof solution yet but uh, definitely something we're going to keep iterating on to see if we can get a little bit more closer to actually scoping out only deliverables that will have kind of that uh, that effect that we are we're expecting and philip what were your thoughts oh it's a big chaotic cloud of of thoughts over here of course, uh, this is something I've been struggling with for a long time, and and I think a lot of us are in the same boat. Like we, we're okay. Come and set up this uh, capability, or or do this, but it's and then we do, and then we deliver some KPI or or something, and and what then? What what did we actually improve, right? Uh, but I think maybe some something that should be prerequisite is like. Why it's us asking why? Why do we ask to do this? Even though it's really fun, right? Because I do this because I it's fun. Uh, you learn a lot. You get a lot of insights into the product. You you uh, the te technology is fun, and you get to write fun SQL or Python or or something. Uh, but if someone would you know tell me like, can you set up this uh, BI team? We want to uh, measure success for all our departments and. Um, uh, evaluate them like their performance based on your your reports. Um, yeah, you know that that would be that would be great because then you know there's some action that would be taken based on on the numbers, right? Then then people will automatically be interested in all of the numbers and making sure they're correct because they will be affected, right? So I think I think something like that, or 
if it's a really mature company, it's often already in place. I was at this company doing music streaming, uh, Big Green, Swedish company. And, you know, it was super clear, like, uh, metrics that we were supposed to, to push, right? And so we could have a discussion with our product owners. Okay, if we give you this this insight, um, can you make better um, better products or better decisions based on on knowing who the who the um, uh, customer is? Yes. Okay. Okay. Then probably definitely worth this if we do this and they can push that number, right? So I think we have to as as a group or as a as an industry, be closer to the product, be closer to the business owner and ask those questions. Um, and again, I think it's because we're mostly from tech and that's our path. We think it's fun with the, with the tech part. And, and we sometimes forget that, you know, why, why are we here? What, what are we trying to change? Because I feel like a lot of time we achieve what we came to achieve, but there's n- not that much of a difference uh, further down the road in, in terms of decision-making. So you're like, okay, in terms of, okay, we have this capability, we could be data-driven or we could take data-informed decisions, but we don't. So that's kind of like how I feel a lot, a lot of time. Another long, long-winded input for me. Thanks for that. Chandan? Um, that's a great point, Fatap, about us all being from the tech world. And uh, I've noticed that whenever we go out uh, to conferences, to events, we are always talking about the tech stuff, like, hey, we did this migration and we went from, uh, yeah, whatever RDBMS system into this awesome big data platform. And now we have thrown out that big data platform out of the window and moving into this amazing cloud infrastructure. And now to the software as a service space and things like that. But not so so much about uh, how our friends in sales and marketing talk about it that brought in $300 million revenue and stuff like that. And it's... It, it's such a good story to get out there for the data teams. I remember one of the projects that uh, we were working at uh, in, in one of the teams, we built a report that identified high net worth individuals. And uh, the report was really good. I, I mean, nothing nothing major technically, not super complex, but it was really good in the sense it was actually being used. And we got some success stories shared by the end business users who were able to identify and convert leads because of that report. And that was such an awesome success story. We shared it quarter after quarter and uh, yeah, everybody loved it. So that's uh, that's some great point uh, about measuring outcomes. Thank you, Paul. Um, yeah, the way I've been thinking about this is to kind of challenge the original hypothesis, you know. So in my case, you know, coming in, building a BI team, lots of nice dashboards, well adopted, hopefully people making some sense them and good decisions. Uh, guiding you know the business into a into a you know a, not into dead ends and doing the right thing, um, but now we're at the scale where it's like okay we're a central team you know of course we can keep scaling out but we don't we're never going to be able to fully map the size of the business especially when you go into new markets oddities you know we produce new products as well um, okay how do we do what do we do now and and you should always challenge that original hypothesis okay let's we've got these great people. They got all this domain knowledge. Maybe we should break them up. You know, put them into product teams. You know, help them help the tech team start building data contracts. Uh, maybe keep the engineers central because a lot of that data modeling does actually need to be knitted together in a good way. You know, I'm not saying any of this is planned, but I think you should always kind of like revisit this stuff and think: Can I do this? You know, maybe there's there's a new job for me, or there isn't a job. You know, I've got to do, go and do something else because my life 
as the BI manager or whatever I was then has ended. You know, I think that's the kind of, you've got to make these bold steps for yourself and, and kind of step out of the, you know, the, the par view or the picture a little bit and think, okay, if I was the consultant here and I had to kind of like challenge what's been put in front of me, how would I do a better job of it? You know? Oh, thank you. Philip? See me trauma. I'm not muted. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of noise going on here. Sorry about that. Um, what's my thinking? I had a, had a thought here after, after Shandan uh, spoke, I thought was, was good, but I, I think I dropped it. Um, yeah. Okay. Now I, I, I think I remember, I think we we're also pulled in like different from different sides of, of the business. Like we were usually pulled from maybe from um, the IT ops org or IT organization, and maybe there's like a sales organization and, and things like that. And uh, I think they're not always close to each other. And I think a lot of the time, um, I feel like our our data teams are kind of like a, a bridge between that. Um, so maybe we can utilize that more in, in bringing these these sites closer together by them measuring the same things, maybe coaching the business sides and coaching the tech side on what you could achieve. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And I think that rounds us up with, with this question. So the final question that we've got as a, as a group to explore, and this question was posed to us by Chandan, and the question is, what are some of the signs to watch out for and what are the strategies to avoid team burnout? Chandan, do you want to tell us where this question came from? Absolutely, Josh. So uh, I was reading the other day uh, an article about uh, the average amount of time data engineers spend in a company, and it's somewhere between one to two years. So uh, every data engineer that we have in our teams is probably going to leave for better or greener pastures in one to two years. And you always have, or we always have data engineer uh, openings out there. Uh, I've seen companies always have uh, these openings that are never getting filled. Well, actually they are getting filled, people come in, but then at the same time people are leaving. So uh, I was thinking a little bit about that, like what is causing people to leave? And uh, a couple of points that uh, that I had about it, uh, you know, as a, as a team which owns and has all the data that is needed uh, for decision-making and analytics, we are always overwhelmed with requests. So we always have too many things to do, but, we don't always work on the right things because we are not saying no to a, all of a lot of requests, these day-to-day -day data requests, which can simply be handled by doing some more user education out there. We, are, we start our days with an incident or a data issue, and then by the time you investigate the incident or data issue, the whole day is gone. So you're basically firefighting all the time. And all of that is preventing us from doing some real quality work. And this real quality work, uh, or the lack of thereof, is causing more data issues and incidents. So we are stuck in this loop, and people simply get frustrated and, uh, yeah, burn out. And by burnout, I, do, I don't really mean, you know, they are working extended hours. It's just that the work gets so so difficult and not in the not in the right way. It's no longer challenging. It's it's just it's just a pain to come in and deal with all of that uh, every day. So. Curious to hear your thoughts about this and if you have seen something similar. Okay, Pedro? Yeah, so definitely and unfortunately relatable. Um, 
and uh, and and I think it really hit the spot when you talked about Chandan how how these uh, operational uh, challenges or you know these burning incidents suddenly make up for the majority of the time and you're basically just trying to fix uh, whatever's broken and you don't have that possibility to actually evolve the team or work on the actual actual things that would you know bring value or impact to the business so uh, so I think some of the signs that, uh, that I've started to to recognize uh, is, uh, I mean, one of them is fairly, I mean, obvious. You know, people people not feeling that great and being transparent about it. But that requires the team setting to be, uh, you know, in a sense, somewhat good that they're open and willing to to share that. And that might already be a little bit too late if we if we were being frank. Um, but I would also say that one thing that uh, at least I, as a manager, try to uh, try to do is, you know, have that kind of sense within the team. I know that we discussed autonomy uh, quite a bit uh, previously, right? And so one thing that I really want the team to try to evolve is the ability to say that, okay, this we're at max capacity. Like anything we do from here on out is actually, uh, you know, putting a strain on the team. So I think. Uh, the hard part in, in in managing a data team is is not saying no to bad ideas. Is actually you know having to say no to great ideas that you know would be great, but you you unfortunately cannot commit to them at the moment. Uh, and I think that is also something that I try to practice as a manager. Uh, it's been very difficult, kind of trying to work with that as as something to be a little bit more comfortable with. But I think it really helps out to you know for the longevity of the team and for the business to be able to kind of showcase um the positive sides of actually being more committed to specific tasks and when you are in these kind of positions that you were describing chandan to actually get buy-in from from the rest of the organization to do kind of like an overhaul to actually sort the root causes because that will basically just give you more time to actually do all the fun stuff and all the necessary stuff that the rest of the business will need. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, a bit relatable, but uh, but uh, a lot of interesting experience to 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 have. Uh, happy to hear about Paul and Philip in regards to this as well, and see what what kind of signs you you try to pick up on or have have learned throughout the years. Okay, let's go to Philip then. Sure, uh, I think it's super important to manage your stakeholders. I think that's the big thing. Uh, for like the stress for the developers. Uh, let's say we've put, you know, our mission and, and vision and, you know, our tenants are why we're here and what we're trying to do. That's already in place, right? And now we have these 50 stakeholders trying to get stuff from us because we're what we're doing is good and everyone wants a part of it, right? And, and so the team's really stressed. And I think managing that in a good way is, is really important for the team not to burn out. So what I've seen a lot is that Someone who's been in contact with us before start messaging a specific developer because they know they can you know get some time from them that way and you know they try to find backdoors and things like that and and just helping your team and also yourself being a little bit strict with these stakeholders and here I think you have to accept that you might take a hit of rapport or like they might not like you as much anymore and just is to eat that because. You have to look at, you know, inside your team first and like, okay, it's more important that we are okay. Because if all of us quits, then, you know, 
that'll be even more sad, right? If you want to have the corporate hat on, on and say that, but of course we're human beings, so we want to make sure you know we can have a decent working environment. Um, so I think it's better to be like straightforward and harsh early than late, and not like oh maybe we can look at it. Just like be super clear. And like, no, we will not be able to look at this because X Y Z. Expect us to to have a conversation again in three months or whatever. Uh, I don't know what your like backlog is or or things like that. But I, I think that's really key. Uh, the other thing is ha- being strict on the whip limit, like work in progress limit, so that you don't take in too much work. What, what and something else that I've experienced is that, and I think uh, <coughs> I had managers here at uh, the bank I was working on till recently who were like, "Oh yeah, surely you can just put in uh, one more thing and one more thing." Like multitasking is important, and it was really hard to explain that you know every time you multitask, it's not just that tasks time and effort that's consumed but also the 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 focus switch is costing you more and more time and effort so keeping that with limit small being really clear and strict with uh stakeholders better to say no a hard no than to say oh maybe we'll try to squeeze it in i think those are are good from my point of view and if you have time time over you can always go back turns out we have we have a day of development left uh do you have time to talk to us I think that's a, a, a good approach on, on handling that. But of course, I don't know your specific situation. Uh, could be other things that are affecting your uh, team burnout and, and things like that. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, I think it's also a bit recognizing the signs yourself, you know, knowing what the what causes the trigger. And I think this is a big one. Yeah, the kind of the multitasking, the huge backlog of work in progress. Uh, we're having this right now, you know, going through migration, like a hundreds of requests sometimes a week uh continual firefighting and you know okay how do i defend it and you know you touched it before philip like someone's going to be the bad guy um in this story it's me you know i don't mind you know i'm at the level of seniority where it's like you know you can call me what you want it's water off a duck's back so i stand in front of that stuff to protect the team you know actually there's too much going on give it to me i'll say no we'll explain why nobody dies you know it's like we're not on the front line here so um i'm happy to do that you know, my kind of like private life with my five-year-old son is much different. You know, there he gets kissed and hugged to death, but like nobody's going to try and steamroll steamroll my team. You know, um, I stand right in front of it. I think you've got to be strong as a leader to make sure that, you know, no is just the obvious word. It's not the, the right or the powerful one. It's just like, no, this is bullshit. Stop. Yeah. Perfect. And yeah, um, Philip summarized in the chat that sometimes you've got to be the bad guy to do the right thing for the team. You know, I think it's easier the more senior you are, just like you said, Paul. It's much harder when you're more junior, especially if you're a new product owner or a new manager. You kind of like, you're much more beholden to your manager or to, to someone else. You can't just walk away and get a new job. Uh, you can be much more, stick to your principles much more the more senior you are. Um, and that's something that, that will be more challenging for any entry-level manager or any entry-level uh, contributor being that bad guy when when you need to be so perfect Petran. yeah so, so so i'm just coming coming back to kind of what we were discussing with the junior junior or entry-level employees in our teams right and the discussion we had with you know hard skills versus uh soft skills and in a way it's uh, i mean i think this is uh fairly interesting because it seems like 
this topic is kind of the similar, but on the managerial side, right? Whereas you would be more, as you grow your experience level, the the soft side, so to speak, or how to handle uh, your your peers or different stakeholders when you really need to, and kind of be firm in the sense of protecting protecting your team and protecting uh, the well being is also something that is is quite hard in the beginning, to be honest. And it's something that you definitely, as you said, Philip, you need to you need to practice and that will definitely come as you grow more experience. So it's just, um, uh, I don't have a definite answer or, or kind of on how to do it, but it's also interesting that um, the, that side of, of the coin seems to also apply, at least in this area, for, for managers, right? And not only for, for the technical people coming in uh, into the field. Thank you. Chandan? I just wanted to add to the whole discussion that, uh, you know, saying no first time might be a little bit hard, but then once you have said it once and felt what it feels like to, you know, be communicated back uh, with your stakeholders, you can do it again and again. So we live and survive from there. So I think that's really good. And at the same time, uh, going back to the topic that we were talk- talking about earlier, making sure that we can demonstrate some sort of uh, tangible outcome of the work that we are doing, for example, architectural work, you know, just quality of life improvements and things like that, that could also be important in in getting some quality work done through the backlog without people asking, hey, what's the business value of this? So, yeah. Thanks, Chandan. Paul? Yeah, I think you also need to build credibility quite quickly, you know, when you're setting these teams up and getting things moving, you know, get a portfolio built. Look, this is what happens when you do it the right way. You know, you have some shiny objects to show. Uh, Otherwise, we're going to get something, you know, the raw sewage will come in. We'll try our best to process it. What you get isn't going to be, you know, so nice. Um, and we can do that. But that is really what leads to the burnout phase because people just churn, you know, kind of doing the stuff that doesn't connect to purpose. It's not good practice, you know, and people just, after a while, it builds up and they leave. Um, and that's ultimately what you're trying to stop. You know, you're trying to create that fun environment connected to purpose. And yeah. Okay. Brilliant. So I think that rounds us up nicely. Thank you so much to everybody that is involved in this conversation thank you pedram chandon paul philip uh i have certainly enjoyed listening to this conversation i really have um thank you to the people listening i really hope that you've enjoyed this conversation and that you've learned something and i hope you guys involved in the podcast have learned something from one another as well so just for anybody else if you would like to get involved in any of our up and coming podcasts reach out to me on linkedin or you can email me at joshua.asquith at evolution-nordics.com see you next time thank you very much